7.35. Uh, last week, President Donald Trump proposed his budget for the fiscal year 2018. Details um, have included what the president wants to do to federal government spending, but shortly after the release, the proposal was met with a backlash from both Democrats and Republicans. Let's uh, go into further detail with Ross Barkin, journalist, commentator for The Guardian. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so just maybe a first overview for anyone who missed this news. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Donald Trump for other reasons, like whether he's going to be impeached over those Russia allegations. So can you talk to us about this proposed budget? So the proposed budget um, calls for pretty drastic uh, cuts. You're looking at a $4.3 trillion over 10 years, and the cuts are going to come from all sorts of places. Um, you're looking at major cuts to Medicaid, which provides health care for very poor people, um, cuts to the housing agency, um, Department of Housing and Urban Development, that provides grants for you know various affordable housing and, and community projects, um, cuts to... Um, you know, medical uh, limits on medical malpractice lawsuits. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at cuts overall to welfare, uh, food stamps. You know, to obviously provide um, you know money for for low income people to buy food. I mean, it's it's very very um, heavy cuts just about everywhere except for military spending and infrastructure, two areas where. President Trump has said he would like to increase spending. Yeah, I was going to ask because when we go back to his victory infrastructure and obviously um, uh, Make America Great Again was rallied everywhere um, and, and including things like building roads, uh, railways and that infamous wall uh, with Mexico. But um, even if the latter hasn't looked like it's going to come to fruition, does he actually reverse many of his campaign promises within these cuts? So I would caution um, everything with uh, the the caveat that this budget is not going to be the final budget. Um, the Cong- it needs to go through Congress. Um, generally, budget proposals from the president are starting points in a negotiation. And then um, with the House representatives and with the Senate, some sort of consensus is reached. There's a feeling even among Republicans that the spending cuts are too drastic, that they punish too many people, especially those who elected um Trump president, you know, poor and working class people in rural areas who actually depend on a lot of government spending. And you're seeing that, too, with the um, push to repeal Obamacare. There's been a backlash against that because even uh, conservative people um, have come to accept the, the health care system as a fact of life. So, um, you know, you, you may see the actual budget uh, look very different. So far, um, in terms of military spending and infrastructure, uh, Trump has been keeping to some of his campaign promises. But in a lot of ways, the cuts to Medicaid and the cuts to you know various um, you know government programs for the poor fly in the face of his populism. The idea that he wasn't going to be an ordinary Republican, he's going to be a Republican who stood up for the working man, stood up for 
the, the person who's on the margins. And yeah. instead, um, with this budget, he's actually functioning very much like a uh, typical right-wing Republican. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I just wonder whether we should be really surprised by that because even with the populism of his campaign that many analysts were saying, if you look at his pledges, they're not going to benefit the ordinary man and woman who were voting for him, that they were voting against their best interests, uh, perhaps sucked in by that rhetoric. I think to an extent that is true. Um, if, if Donald Trump, you know... The, the issue with Donald Trump is his rhetoric often shifted. It's often hard to pinpoint where he stood. I mean, he's always very against immigration. He's always very against a free trade agreement, and he's talked about renegotiating uh, NAFTA and you know and ending other um, partnerships. So with the pres- with Donald Trump, he's someone who definitely is not a true populist. He's a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. We don't know his true net worth because he won't release his tax returns. He's someone who surrounded himself with very wealthy people. His cabinet is the richest in history. So um, I would say many of the people who voted for him voted against their interests. At the same time, these are many people who didn't benefit much from President Obama and felt that the political establishment needed to be shook up somehow, that, that the elites needed to be taught a lesson. So like with Brexit, many, many people in America said, you know what, Donald Trump may not be the ideal president. He may, be, may not be the person we would necessarily imagine living in the Oval Office, but the establishment has failed us. The White House has failed us. Our lives got worse under Barack Obama, and they weren't helped along by... Uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's offering more of the same, so they chose Donald Trump. But the economy was showing signs of recovery towards the end of the Obama administration, and and here we are uh, under Donald Trump with these proposed cuts. Some would say not entirely necessary to go so far. Why? What is the uh, the justification for them? Where will that extra money be spent? You said uh, infrastructure and, and the military, for example. Well, is the U.S. planning on embarking on some major foreign military campaigns? Is that what the kind of thing we can expect? Because, uh, on the other hand, Donald Trump's talking about, for example, us in South Korea paying for uh, more of, of what the U.S. is doing on the military front. So it's not like he's being liberal with the money abroad either. No, he's not. And, in fact, he's been critical of foreign aid. Um, he's been critical of how much... Um, countries pay toward NATO that they should pay more. I, I don't know if you'd expect more m- military campaigns necessarily. I think it's more just about projecting strength for Donald Trump. He's someone who comes from a place where he believes America under Obama was somehow perceived as weak on the global stage. And, and this was an argument not only made by Donald Trump, but many conservative commentators argue that that Barack Obama showed too much restraint. So with Donald Trump and this military buildup, the idea is that he's going to project this new strength um, in, in global affairs. And, and as we've seen, that's not necessarily uh, been translated into respect or deference. Um, certainly, um, Angela Merkel has said she expects Europe to go it alone. She doesn't expect America to be a reliable partner anymore. So there's not necessarily a great amount of logic here. And to your question about the economy, yes, the economy did improve in, in the 
final years of Obama's presidency, and if you trace it back to the 2008 financial crash, it improved quite drastically, um, considering where America was at that point. The catch is that the wealth, um, as in other places, has really been concentrated towards the top. We, we do have um, real income inequality in the United States, and the, the gains in this economic recovery have not been evenly distributed. So Donald Trump, as well as Bernie Sanders, when he ran, was able to speak to the economic anxieties of people who did not benefit from this economic recovery. They were told the economy was getting better. They saw the unemployment rate going down. But the jobs that they had 10 years ago hadn't come back, and their towns were still economically depressed. So for many people outside of major cities, they didn't really feel the economic recovery like others did. Yeah. Well, it's obviously sad that uh, things might get worse, actually, for some of those people who voted for the man that they thought would would help them. Um, so you've already said that you're not sure whether this budget's going to go through anyway. What, what are the prospects for it? How stuck will it get before we see some final version? And what do you expect that to look like? Well, it's hard to say. So the, the prospects for the, the budget in this version are not good. Um, certainly no Democrat will vote for it. and they, they don't control Congress, but there's still enough of them where they can be a roadblock to, um, you know, to a final agreement. And even for Republicans, there's an understanding, especially Republicans who represent rural areas or places that voted for Donald Trump and also depend on the um, generosity of the federal government that this budget goes too far, uh, that there's been real backlash to it. So um, I, I imagine there will be a restoration of some of these proposed cuts that, that yes. you may see um, some of the more drastic, you know, um, attacks on food stamps, um, on, you know, money for uh, housing programs, things like that. Th- th- those may not go through. But to an extent, um, there, there, will, there will be cuts. Uh, that, that's part of, you've always been part of the Republican agenda, the idea that if you lower taxes and you cut government, the economy will grow. Um, even conservative com- economists can see that it's not that simple. So what this final budget looks like will, will not be clear, and, and when the agreement comes is also not very clear. But, right. but I will say um, it's going to be a different budget, but it certainly shows you what the priorities of the Trump administration are and, and what the people around him think are most important. And Mr. Barkin, I, I mentioned before the uh, kind of noises we're hearing in this part of the world about military spending by the U.S. abroad. Uh, it's also a major issue for NATO leaders. And in fact, Trump's fiscal blueprint was released in Washington just as the president headed to Brussels to attend his first NATO leaders meeting uh, on May 25th. What are just briefly some of your major takeaways from that? From his trip abroad? Yeah, to, to attend that NATO summit and, and, and the messages that came out of that and what that can tell us about foreign policy. Well, um, I think you're going to see over the next four years a more inward-looking America. Donald Trump has made that clear. If there's one consistency um, in his, um, you know, in his platform, it's this real resistance to um, foreign interventions, but also um, spending money abroad. Um, and he, you know, 
he, someone who once said NATO should be obsolete, I don't think he actually holds that view. And I, and I, what he does with the Paris climate agreement is, is also unclear. But there's a small chance maybe he keeps the United States in. But I think regardless of what he does with the, with the climate agreement or, or what um, his immediate rhetoric is, uh, you're going to see a um, different type of, um, you know, United States of America. In the short term, I, I would caution, too, that um, a new president could completely reverse course. And, then of course, Donald Trump is, is limited to eight years in office, and it's no guarantee he wins re-election. No. So um, this could be a temporary blip, and America could return to its traditional role in the world stage. But I think for other countries... And there is a coming realization that um, you're going to see a more isolationist United States. And yeah. you're maybe um, going to see Europe um, having to um, act on its own more, which is something um, you know, the Chancellor of Germany said, and I think um, the new you know, French president recognizes as well. Well, it certainly changes the dynamic significantly. Ross Barkin from The Guardian, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. appreciate it.